Well, good afternoon. Oh, how about I turn this on? How's that? Good afternoon. <laughs> it's nice to see so many of you here. I'm Doug Fullington. I'm here to talk to you about our program of all Twyla Tharp today. Um, I want to ask if at any point you can't hear me clearly enough, please just say, and I'll try and maneuver with the mic and the mask in such a way that you can understand me. So please don't hesitate to ask that. Um, this is our final subscription performance of the season. The company is just closing the Seattle season here. Tonight, we will have our season encore performance at 6.30 p.m. This is our annual end of year performance in which we uh, close out the year. We say farewell to some dancers who are leaving the company. But uh, beyond this, the company actually isn't off very much this summer because they're off to New York in a week to perform at Lincoln Center at the David Koch Theater, the former New York State Theater that was built for Balanchine in the 60s, and then to LA to perform at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in downtown LA in July. So I'll say a little bit more about that because we're taking uh, Waiting at the Station from this program for its premieres in New York and LA. So that those are exciting things to look forward to. But for today, we're very uh, pleased to close out a season when we're finally back in the theater and able to perform for a live audience. So especially glad that you're here today. Also, I welcome your questions anytime as I'm going along and talking about these works. Happy to stop and try and answer any question or discuss something that interests you. But let's start with the first of these three ballets on the program, uh, Brief Fling. So Brief Fling comes from a really interesting period of time in Twyla Tharp's career. It was made in 1994. American Ballet Theater, who you might know is a company based in New York. They perform at the Met Opera House at Lincoln Center. During the 1980s, uh, the Russian dancer uh, Mikhail Baryshnikov was artistic director at ABT. And towards the end of his tenure, he invited Twyla Tharp to join him at ABT as, I believe, associate artistic director. But not only that, he invited Twyla to bring her dancers with her to join American Ballet Theater. So we had this really interesting, kind of unprecedented amalgam of a large classical ballet company welcome welcoming in a group of dancers uh, with a much more sort of diverse choreographic repertory. Uh, as you might be aware, Twyla Tharp, uh, her choreography involves and incorporates many, many influences, ballet, jazz, modern, contemporary. I know some of those definitions are sort of wide and sort of different depending who you are, but uh, definitely choreography that uh, incorporates many, many influences. Uh, that she has had uh, from her experiences throughout her career. So a really interesting time during which she created works that incorporated both the ABT dancers and hers. And we have just that in brief fling. If you read the notes uh, that are given to us courtesy of uh, Twyla Tharp's uh, website, which has been recently revamped and has a lot of wonderful detail about her work, You'll see that the dancers in this uh, ballet are divided into different clans. So Brief Fling is, has a Scottish theme to it. That's part of the meaning of Brief Fling. And it also means a Brief Fling in the romantic sense as well. So uh, we've got a blue group. They're in blue tartans. That's Angelica Generosa and Jonathan Batista today. 
Then we have two couples. They're the couples listed just below them. They're the reds. They're wearing red tartans. And then we have a green group led by L. Macy with Chris Doriano, Miles Pearl, and Ezra Thompson. Those four were Twyla's dancers. And they have a different style of choreography, you'll see, than the other clans uh, in which uh, the, the dancers are wearing, uh, women dancers are wearing point shoes. And then we have the ensemble that's dressed in white, but I think that white includes a little bit of red, blue, and green, so they're malleable and they can appear on stage uh, with, with the different clans. So that's how this is put together. So already an eclectic grouping of dancers, eclectic choreographic style. We also have really eclectic music, and I'll, I'll try to describe it best I can. The overall composer, because there's not one composer here, is Michel Colombier. Colombier was a French composer composed a lot for film and television, but also a number of ballet scores for Twyla Tharp. This was the last collaboration they had together in 1990. His music is very wide-ranging. There, uh, there is music that sounds a little bit, to me, like Baroque-era music. We get that towards the end. There's a fugue near the end of this score. There's music that sounds a little bit 90s techno, if you will. You'll see what I mean. There's some synthesizer using some sort of newer technology from that period of time. There's music for the full orchestra that sounds classical uh, in that sense. But he's also brought in some music by the Australian composer Percy Granger. Are some of you familiar with Percy Granger? So he was writing at the beginning of the 20th century during a period of time when well, Percy Granger from Australia, but also a lot of composers in the UK were looking at the folk music of, of their culture and incorporating that into their pieces. So we've got Country Gardens by Percy Granger from 1912 or 1918. These are all war years pieces. Handel in the Strand. Percy Granger thought it sounded like Handel. British have a real <laughs> idolization of Handel. If, you're, if you follow Handel's Messiah in England, there's a whole volume of books to be written about that. So we have these pieces sort of jumping in uh, from time to time, and, and the ballet, therefore, and the score is put together in a very episodic way. We'll have one type of music, then suddenly we have something else, and suddenly a Scottish reel, and then suddenly something with the synthesizer. Um, so it's very eclectic, and Twyla responded uh, in kind with the choreography. It's quite eclectic. Um, I think a little bit longer sections at the beginning and they become shorter and shorter towards the end to sort of build momentum. And then there's a little, sort of a quiet epilogue at the end of the piece. So it's an unusual work, but if we know a little bit about the context in which it was created for American Ballet Theater at a time when Twyla had joined the company with her dancers, we can, we can make a little more sense of how this work is put together. It's definitely a very entertaining work, a challenging work for the dancers. And I should say, we're the only company that performs the music live. Historically, most of Twyla's work has been performed to recording. It's very practical for touring, definitely. And uh, smaller companies tended not to have a budget for live music. It is very expensive. We're very, uh, we're very fortunate here to have a, a full orchestra to perform in a, in a great hall. And uh, that's a real luxury. But, and we have a real commitment to live music. So Emile Deku, our music director and conductor, who has a long time relationship with Twyla Tharp, asked if he could pursue 
getting hold of the score. And Twyla said, okay. So he got in touch with Colombier's widow, who lives in California. Emil went down there. There was a meeting, I believe, in a Denny's parking lot (laughs) where the score was handed off, which I think had been in the basement in a box. Emil brought it back here. We had it sort of computer set, and now we're able to perform it live. If you take a look in the orchestra pit, you'll see it's very full. More percussion instruments and keyboards than you can shake a stick at. So, but they're all required to create the music on this program. So pretty exciting that we, we have been able to do that. Um, this is the second time out that we've been able to perform briefly with the orchestra. Yes? Will the orchestra travel to New York? And, um... Yes, the orchestra will come to New York and to California, which is also very unusual for ballet companies. Uh, we're fortunate in that the orchestra has developed a really uh, wonderful reputation uh, and a, a wonderful reputation on tour. They've been to New York with us twice before, and so they will, they will travel there and also to Los Angeles. So These are big tours, I can tell you that. Great. Let's go on to Sweet Fields. We have our first intermission after Brief Fling. We come back for Sweet Fields. This is a, just a very different work on all levels, not just musically and choreographically, but how I think it represents uh, a certain aspect of Twyla Tharp's life. She is a fifth-generation Indiana Quaker. That was her upbringing. Uh, she belonged to, I believe it was called, the Bluff Point Friends Church. And if I'm correct, Sweet Fields was initially named after that church instead of being called Sweet Fields. And then she chose the name Sweet Fields, which comes from the lyrics of a couple of the musical numbers in this ballet. This was created in 1996. Maybe we should talk about the music first. Uh, the music is all unaccompanied vocal music. Uh, and uh, I'll be leading it today, hence the black. And so we've got our sort of small ensemble of singers in the pit. Twyla picked, I'm not sure in what order she picked the music, but she, she has selected a, a very representative repertory of music from, uh, from the United States from the late 18th century and the 19th century. No Quaker music per se, but there are Shaker tunes. The Shakers are a related group, not too dissimilar, if I'm correct, from the Quakers. The shaker music is always sung in unison, without harmony. So we've got one shaker tune that will be sung by sopranos and altos, and another that will be sung by the tenors and basses, and then everybody joins in. She's added to that music from the late 18th century in New England by one of the famous composers of that period was William Billings. Uh, William Billings put out a number of volumes of his published music, He wrote mostly sacred music for choirs. He ran the music at a Boston church. She's also, uh, Twyla's also selected music from the Southern shape note tradition. After the music of those New England songmasters like Billings went out of fashion in New England and European music was starting to be sort of the approved style, that New England style sort of went down into the South where um, a system had been developed to teach people how to read music. It's called the shape note system, meaning the different note heads in the music have a different shape. Triangle, diamond, square, and circle, with the solfege names fa, so, la, and mi. And people would learn to read based on the intervals between these different notes. So that's what shape note means. 
And uh, the last two numbers in sweet fields are from this shape note uh, repertory. They are very vigorous uh, numbers. We don't have the text printed in the programs. There are a ton of words. It's one word per note. So uh, after 19 minutes, you've racked up a lot of text. <laughs> but a lot of the, um, the themes in the music surround really a, an idea of uh, looking towards a sort of better life, whether it's in the future or in the afterlife. Uh, many of these songs have this sort of yearning quality about a better land or a better life. So there's a real poignancy to a lot of these, these texts that are sung. And yet some of them are also very boisterous and energetic as well. So we're hoping to, to relay all that to you in our performance. Now the choreography is for a group of uh, male dancers and female dancers that are generally separated on stage like they would have been at the Quaker meetings. I believe in, in the Quaker sort of ideology, there was uh, quite a bit of equality between the genders, but in the meeting house, they were separated. So there will be dances just for the uh, female dancers. There will be dancers, dances just for the male dancers. And even when they're on stage together, they'll be on one side or the other, and generally not uh, mixed in that way, if you will. And I think this is Twyla's nod to, to the way these, these meetings were, uh, were held and were sort of uh, the protocols for those. I've read an interview uh, with Twyla Tharp in which she talks about how uh, the sort of singularity of purpose that the Quakers held, which I think was also was to serve God and to serve each other, uh, which sounds quite simple, but that very singularity of purpose, Twyla said, really influenced her own work ethic and the idea of having a singularity of purpose. And all of us at PMB can really attest to that because the times that Twyla has been with us in creating work, there's a complete singularity of purpose. There is no small talk, not even in the office. It is all about the work from morning till night. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons she's been so prolific and able to incorporate so much uh, diverse choreographic content and influences in her work. It's the reason she's been able to make wonderfully representative choices of this uh, American music because she really does the work and she really immerses herself in it. And so she can really uh, make these, these great choices that result in the kind of works we're gonna see and hear today. So that's Sweet Fields. We have our second intermission, and we go on to waiting at the station. We have eight works by Twyla Tharp in our repertory. Three of them have been made for us, and waiting at the station is the most recent of those. It was made nine years ago in 2013. This piece has a particular story to it. It's not an overly detailed story, but it's, a, it's quite a definite story. And at first, when we presented the ballet, Twyla was very reticent to have anything about the story printed in the program. There may be one or two sentences that sort of alluded to that. Now that her website is updated, she's provided a fuller sort of explanation of her thoughts and, and the narrative of this work, and you'll find that in your program. But in brief, the story revolves around a father, a father who's sort of Time on earth is coming to an end, and we know that because he's being chased by three fates. Now, this ballet is set in New Orleans in the 40s, and the costuming reflects that. 
Um, they're colorful costumes, but they're muted and understated. Well, the three fates are wearing gold, not just gold, but sequins. I mean, they, it's clear they're from another place. And they are constantly chasing the father, and he is putting them off. He's avoiding them. He'll climb up on a stand and try and turn time back on the clock on the stage, anything to gain some extra time, because he has some loose ends in his life. He's estranged from his son, and he'd like to put that right. And we see the interaction between the father and the son. (coughs) Today, the father is danced by James Moore. The role was created on James, uh, working closely with Twyla, those nine years ago. The son is danced by Ku Sakuragi, who made his debut last night in the role. So we have James, who goes back to the beginning, and we have Ku, who's just new to the role. And actually, it's just perfect for the way these two interact in the narrative. So the father is trying to really pass on his wisdom, if you will, to the son. And in, in ballet terms, in dance terms, that's going to mean the steps. So he's passing on his moves to his son. And the son lacks some confidence. We can tell the relationship's not great. We can also see the father sort of fall into some habits of the way he's treated and maybe dismissed his son in the past. So as we move through these various songs in this piece, we see this interaction. And I haven't mentioned the music yet. The music is by Alan Toussaint, who was just a terrific, wonderful uh, New Orleans-based R&B jazz composer. Uh, with whom Twyla worked closely to select the songs, uh, his compositions for this work. Uh, Toussaint arranged them for a jazz combo, backed by the orchestra of strings. It's very glamorous sounding. And Alan Toussaint played our initial performances back in 2013. And he was just not only a terrific musician, but a wonderful and warm individual too, and wore the greatest clothes, lime green suit, powder blue suit, He'd be on a platform playing everything from memory. It was just so inspiring. So that is the music for this. But back to the story. The father and son interactions and the chasing by the fates is all backed by a community that lives here in New Orleans. And they are really represented by two sort of prominent couples who have their own sort of day-to-day problems and confrontations, particularly the two women in, the, uh, in, in this, this quartet who just don't, don't get along <laughs> with each other. So this is a typical ballet by Twyla Tharp. There are a number of levels and a number of things going on here, but ultimately the fates come for the father and it is his time and they take him away. And we see very briefly that Twyla has staged a funeral procession. And there is a similar one in Sweet Fields too. The connection is interesting. Uh, and, it's, and that's followed by a Mardi Gras celebration in which the son really comes into his own. I think the inspiration of his father and the memories of his father really help the son kind of come into his own. And then for the last number, the father is sort of allowed to return briefly and, and make amends where he had always hoped to, not only with his son, but within this community of, of, of dancers and, and players, if you will, in New Orleans. And then finally, that train is waiting for him, and he has to hop on, and that, that'll be the last that we see of him. So that is, that is the narrative and the, the idea behind waiting at the station. I haven't mentioned the costumes at all, but I want to for all three of these ballets. For brief fling, uh, Isaac Mizrahi is the costume designer. Twyla really likes to work with the fashion designers. Uh, Norma Kamali 
for uh, uh, Sweet Fields, and Santo Laquasto for waiting at the station. He did the scenery and the costumes. You might not be familiar with his name, but if you've ever watched a Woody Allen movie, Santo Laquasto is the production designer for each of those films. So he's the person that's creating the way the set's going to look and what's on it and, and all of the, the particular pieces. So he brings all that experience to, to really situating us in 1940s New Orleans and waiting at the station. So those are our three works. The last thing I want to say before we take some questions is that Twyla celebrated her 80th birthday last year. There were a lot of celebrations despite the pandemic going on. City Center uh, in Midtown Manhattan was able to have a uh, selection of performances with new work by Twyla and some revived older work, but also the PBS American Masters series put out a, an American Masters program uh, about Twyla Tharp, and I'd really recommend that to you. Uh, it's available online, or if you subscribe and can get it through On Demand. It came out about a year and some ago. If you were just to look up Twyla Tharp PBS American Masters, it'll come up. And it's a documentary about her life. It has uh, contemporary interviews with her, but it also focuses a lot on the, her work in the 60s and 70s, really formative years for her, and the women that she, she choreographed with, danced with, worked with, and it, it's just illuminating, it's wonderful, and I can tell you that the Twyla that you see throughout that is the same Twyla as today, that singularity of purpose, that is really a characteristic that, um, in a principle, I think she's lived by. And it's very clear to see in this really wonderful documentary. So I, I want to recommend that to you. We will have a post-performance Q&A. I'm looking at the casting insert here. It's Peter Bowl, of course. He's going to be joined by Lita Biasucci and Jonathan Batista. So you are free to come down. Welcome to come down after the performance. It's a great way, as you know, to let the garage clear out right after the show and you can have a chat uh, with them and um, yes I, I, I'd be happy to take any questions now if you have anything you'd like to ask or talk about yes please how about second row um, can you tell us who's leaving the company uh, yes yeah I can tell you who's leaving the company and in fact there is a page called Encore toward the back of the program uh, Joshua Grant, one of our soloists, is retiring. Also Sarah Pash, who's in the Court of Ballet. She was one of the original Fates, or Golden Girls, as we call them, in Waiting at the Station. And Guillaume Basso, also in the Court of Ballet. So they will be honored at the encore performance tonight, and there will be some of the program that we're taking on tour, because it's a great way to get some of that up and running again. And also give a little preview of what we'll be doing over the summer. Thank you. Yes. I saw Ezra Thompson in Waiting at the Station. Was he part of the original cast when they did it here first? Right. So Ezra Thompson uh, alternates with James Moore in the role of the father in Waiting at the Station. I think Ezra was in the Corps de Ballet already in 2013, so he was probably in the ensemble for Waiting at the Station. Uh, and probably was the understudy then for the father. I can't quite remember. But he played the father, so maybe he took over that. He has, he has since uh, danced the role of the father, yes. Yeah. yeah, and so he's revisiting that this time as well, too. Yeah. And the son, the role of the son was originally made on Price Sudarth. Price is out right now. 
but uh, Kyle Davis uh, was uh, an alternate cast, and then now Koo has been added. So, and as I said, Koo, first time last night. So, uh, we all know Koo since this high because he came up through our school, all the way through the school. And uh, I remember, you know, calling Koo's parents because we wanted him to be in Sleeping Beauty. Um, and can Koo be in Sleeping Beauty? And then he went and danced for Alberta Ballet, if I'm correct, and now he's back with us in the Corps de Ballet and having a bang-up year. So he's, he's someone to watch and, a, and a, a terrific person as well. So. Yes, please. I remember the, uh, when they first did the uh, uh, win for the station, there's no second pass, I remember. Uh, and then I remember James was late for the rehearsal. And uh, because the traffic, something happened on the, the bridge or something, and he was late. And then uh, we had to wait about half an hour or whatever. This is coming back, yes, this is James' mother, who remembers that, I think on paper there was a second cast, but in reality there wasn't a second cast. Often when a choreographer works on a new creation, there is that singular focus, to bring up singular again, on one cast. And it, really at that point, it, it did have to be James. I mean, Twyla would do anything for it to be James, no matter what. <laughs> and yeah, James yeah, got held up and we were waiting. Just like um, taking yes. the title literally. Yeah, so, yes, yes. So uh, yeah, a lot of pressure, I had a lot high expectations from uh, in any Tharp work. That's certainly true. Thank you. Sure. Let's do let's do one or two more, and then we'll go. I noticed that the costumes for uh, one of these is, is are changing this year with this performance, and I'm wondering what's the inspiration for the costume change. I do. Now, this is a question about new costumes. Do you know which one it is? Yeah, it says um, under Green Queen, it says special thanks for sponsorship of new costumes. Oh, right. That means a new build, not a new design. Uh, yeah, so they would. They, Originally, when we did Briefling, we rented it from American Ballet Theater, and those costumes had been around a long time. And over time, fabric just gives. Elastic dyes. And so uh, I think there has been an effort to, there was some sort of remedial new building of, of the designs, and there probably has been much more of a thorough rebuild of the, the designs. So I, they are Isaac Mizrahi's designs. I do think the costume El Macy wears has changed multiple times over the years. She's in the green clan. I've seen sort of wildly different versions of that on stage over time, so. Thank you. Yes, thanks for pointing it out. Was there one more? Yes, thanks. So how or where did you learn shape note music? I learned shape note music in about 1993 because one of the singers that I was working with had just moved here from Chicago and had sung on one of the recordings that Twyla ended up using for Sweet Fields. And he said, you really need to get into shape note music. So we would start giving summer concerts of shape note music. And then we made some recordings in the 90s of it. Um, and then when we originally did this work here for the school, Sweet Fields, in 2013, and it all, had always been performed to tape, but I asked Twyla, can we do it live, please? 
and I'll put the I'll make a, the score because she'd use great recordings that sang off source material that you can access and then replicate it. It wasn't arrangements of the music; it was the original versions. Um, she said, "Okay," so we did, and uh, I think it's been done live since by other groups as well. So I sent them the score after the fact, and. Uh, and we get to do it again. I, I've known that Peter wanted to bring that piece into the company repertory, and now he's had the opportunity. It's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun to do, and hopefully it really adds. You know, when you create m- music in the moment, hopefully it raises that energy level. And uh, there's something really great about a recording in that it's the same every time, and it's super reliable, but it doesn't have, of course, it's not live. so. It is exciting to do it in the moment, even though a little more challenging. All right, everybody, it's, it's time for me to let you go. So please do check on that post Q&A just to be sure. If there's not one, we'll catch you up next time. Thank you for being here and supporting the company and enjoy the performance.